Hello and welcome to East Drop and Get the Movies. I'm Mike. And I'm Jose. And today we're talking about Bug, which is a film I've wanted to see for quite some time ever since my brother recommended it to me. It's from 2006. It's directed by William Friedkin, based on a screenplay by Tracy Letts, which is based on his own stage play of the same name from about 10 years prior. Uh, it's a psychological horror thriller thing, all set in one room, pretty much, in this dirty little motel room in Oklahoma. What did you think? I'm having trouble figuring out what the film is about. Mm. Uh, so I love Michael Shannon. I thought Ashley Judd also, you know, because at the time that the film came out, she was one of the few women stars who could carry a film, right? Mm. I thought she had wonderful moments, but then I also thought that there were moments where, you know, kind of you began to see the mannerisms and, you know, it became very actressy. Yeah, the, I mean, what she's asked to do is so intense, yeah, that not all the moments work. Mm. And I was trying to think, well, what is the film about? You know, I mean, I suppose on one, in one sense it's about loneliness, it's about, you know, conspiracy theories, it's, you know, the effects of, of the army. But actually I couldn't quite figure out, like, a through thread, you know? like I do know what you mean. I think fundamentally it seems to be about loneliness. I think that seems to be where all the characters' uh, kind of problems stem from somehow um, and that's certainly where the two connect the two characters connect um, and it's also about paranoia and I think where the film is at its most effective for me is in the last 20-30 minutes or so where you really viscerally descend into their minds as they connect uh, on this paranoid level and they each have kind of two monologues uh, one comes after the other where they espouse a sort of conspiracy theory kind of connections and they're just making things up as they go along and they're frenzied yes. and paranoid and everything is just making sense to them as they say it and of course nothing is making sense at all the whole centerpiece of the film is they they keep seeing bugs everywhere and there aren't any you know and so yeah. so I think when you get into the when they covered the room in foil and it's all illuminated in blue yeah. I mean at one point in some respect you're thinking where did they get all this foil from and all these all these bug spray and stuff like they don't seem to have anything, you know. So, so you just kind of go with it that they have just been able to do this to their motel room. Um, that's kind of where I felt. I, I I felt fear not for what would happen, but for the characters. I kind of wanted them to be okay. They they're clearly such victims of themselves and their surroundings. Well, um, I don't know. I found it a very unsatisfying film. Mm. And, you know, it might just be my um, lack of understanding it. You know, it's one of those films that you think maybe I should watch it again, but then you think, well, I don't want to. It's just like not a, a pleasant yeah. watch, you know. So it has all these unanswered questions, right? Like, you know, about the ex-husband, right? The Harry Connick Jr. character, who is obviously like controlling and, you know, but also, you don't know, is he really still in love with her? Is he just in love with... Uh, his 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 domination of her, mm. um, you know, how do they bond over the loss of their child? What happened to the child, right? I mean, is it really, a, you know, because by the end of the film, 
you know that she's delusional, that she's vulnerable and easily conned, you know, and she's so lonely, she's willing to believe everything. So is the story that she tells herself about her child really the, the story there is to tell? So, so the film has all of these unsatisfactory loose threads, mm. right? Which, you know, I suppose some people could say, oh, well, it's wonderful because it's ambiguous. But actually, I think it's good to be ambiguous about some things. But actually, having a bit of clarity about other things is what allows certain ambiguities to deepen and become rich. You know, having the whole film or so many aspects of the film remain loose threads I didn't like. I agree with you on the husband character, the Harry Connick Jr. character, because I feel like to an extent he is used as misdirection. You're supposed to see him as the threat in the film. He's out of prison. There's, uh, uh, she talks with her friend yes. about he's come out of prison and how is he still allowed to be around. He comes in and he's very threatening and he hits her. Um, so you're kind of yes, I think, led her. to think, you know, this guy's going to be the central antagonist and he turns out not to be um because michael shannon's um kind of paranoia and so on takes over and uh, he's a character who starts off as vaguely threatening you don't know much about him they've only just met him that night and he talks in a kind of dispossessed way but it's only as the film develops you start to get under his skin um yeah but i I did find that disappointing about the harry connick jr character i didn't find the last series of shots disappointing and they are deliberately ambiguous i think in going into the credits so what's happened is they've set themselves on fire they've they've stabbed the doctor and or he stabbed the doctor and then they both set themselves on fire thinking that that's the only way they can kind of end this madness and win and then going into the credits you see um the doctor's body stabbed but the place hasn't been burned down which is a shot you see right at the start as well it introduces you to the film and then you see a shot of mm. all of the kids' toys on the floor, which, again, you've seen before. So you're kind of left in this space of going, well, actually, how much of it ended up in their heads? And I don't think it's that satisfying to um, contemplate that because there is no real way of getting to any answers. You'd you'd just be speculating. Um, But I didn't find it unsatisfying that it kind of allowed there to be possibilities that this was in their heads to various extents. Yes, well, I suppose that aspect I liked, but I would have liked to have been more sure that, you know, that the child has disappeared, mm. right? Uh, you know, because it is very uh, ambiguous. I mean, you know, she tells you he's disappeared. It's the source of all her pain. You know, you're told that, you know, one day she looks in the supermarket and he was gone, right? Uh, but then you have all of these recurring shots in the film of his clothes when he was six, yeah, which I think is when he disappeared. Yeah. Uh, and then you also get a series of those shots at the end of the film, right? Uh, so, so it just raises these questions that I would have liked not to have been raised. I would have liked to know for sure, you know, that the story is as she tells it, you know, that... You know, she was in the supermarket one day and the child disappeared. <laughs> I, you know. I didn't take that to be ambiguous. And the reason why is, for one thing, the husband doesn't seem to be hiding anything about that either. He comes back and when he sees all the clothes and toys have been got out because Michael Shannon's looking for this microscope, he looks at them and he's clearly kind of mournful and he takes the, the small child's top 
and he, I think he sniffs it and kind of remembers his son. Mm. So, it, yeah. so I don't. There's no suggestion that. Well, basically, whatever has happened to the son, he's been as affected by it as the wife has. He he's holding yeah. on to the same grief, so he didn't do anything, right? Um, you're right. You're right. You're right. Yeah. The way in which the shot in the supermarket, or or f- several shots in the supermarket, are used as these kind of elliptical flashbacks that kind of shoot into Ashley Judd's head out of control. They speak to me of of a real trauma that she can't help but keep from flashing into her head, you know? Um, and I do appreciate that it could be, as you say, she is easily conned and she does very quickly buy into all of this paranoia that Michael Shannon feeds her. But I get the sense that, like, she, she didn't believe any of that before this film started. You know, when you see her at the start, before this all develops, she seems like a fairly normal individual. So... To me, that adds up because to me, it sort of says he is offering her something that she hasn't had before. You know, these he's he's offering kind of answers and he's offering an outlet for her trauma. So to me, that trauma does does feel real as opposed to ambiguous as to exactly what happened. I I do believe it, and and the phone calls that she gets throughout the start of the film, and it's just someone breathing on the other end. You're never told who that is, and I. I said to me that was the son. I just kind of thought, oh, that might be the son. He he's sixteen years old now. He yeah. wants to hear her. He wants to reconnect. He he's found her. Something like that. But that is left totally ambiguous though and unanswered. You don't know. That at is all. left totally ambiguous. Uh, so I suppose that, you know those are the things that that bother me about uh, the film. And also, I just wasn't engaged. I mean. You know, at the beginning of the film where, um, you know, she seems quite sad, but quite together. And she's mm. got this really interesting relationship with it, with her lesbian friend. And, you know, I thought, oh, I'm going to like this, right? Because, you know, I really liked Killer Joe. Mm. And actually, you know, one of the things about Friedkin is he's very interesting because he's got, you know, I like noir. I love noir. Uh, and he always works in a dark vein. Yeah. Um, mm. I don't quite like him. Yeah. It's almost like the vein that he works with is too extreme for me. Right. So like the exorcist or, mm. you know, um, I mean, I've been, I've been, um, looking at cruising and the boys in the band, you know, and you think like how odd, you know, um, they're very, queer films in a way and the aspects of they're very homophobic about them but he's clearly drawn to the to this darkness to subcultures yeah mm. and um so so the first half of the film i thought it was like really interesting and kind of sensuous you know that bit where harry connick jr is in the shower and he's coming out of it right the way that he's filmed yeah you're meant to feel something sexual yeah it's kind of you know, um, yeah, the steam going around him, yeah, you know, uh, and the way he leans into the doorway and he's filmed from below, right? Like, it's clearly meant to suggest mm. that. Um, and of course, then, then, uh, uh, the Michael Shannon character comes into the film and it all becomes kind of internal and psychological, and you know, the sex part is entirely removed. You know, and you're you're there just cutting bits of your body out, which I thought, Ugh. <laughs> yeah, the the tooth bit. <laughs> it becomes something else, you know, which is very visually fascinating, right? Like, 
you know the the use of the silver foil to yeah to, to close off the room and it looks very interesting but to me that also wore thin after a while and um i didn't i didn't like the way the ashley judd character allowed herself to be so easily sold into uh, uh, Michael Shannon's uh, conspiracies. Do you think that is a character flaw or do you think that's a problem with the writing and do you think there's an element of misogyny in that, that she is someone who is mentally weak and latches onto all, him? All of the above. All of the right. above, actually. You know, I think, you know, so the writing is a problem but I think it's also a problem because, you know, he can't conceive that a woman mentally might be the same as a man. I, nobody's that stupid. You're not just, you know, I think no matter how lonely you are, you're not going to uh, buy into something <laughs> so easily. Yeah, kind of, <laughs> you know, uh, I just I just can't imagine that really. And, and so the fact that it is a woman who buys that is significant. Hmm. If you were to draw the characters the other way around, if a woman came in, you know, you'd imagine the guy saying, oh, that's just some hysterical, Yeah, know, yeah, I know whatever. what you mean. And like, yeah. So actually, I think it is a problem in the writing and I think it, it does have to do with misogyny. Yeah, I think there's also um, a... I don't want to say there's a strand of homophobia that the film kind of espouses, but the film uses homophobia in a very crude way. People talk about, people use, the, uh, people say faggot, and people talk about yeah, being queer, and, and she's turning you queer and stuff like that. And it's just, and it's just these kind of one-off lines that people say, and it's meant to give you this impression that this is just a crude, horrible world, but actually kind of makes it a crude, horrible film. And not in the best way, like yes. you know, like you know, where it happens in the best way is when he pulls his tooth out, and you know, I don't know about you, but that got a physical reaction out of me, you know, the kind of recoiling. It back. did me too. So like that is where the film. <laughs> I was gets thinking, its best. why is Mike making me watch this? <laughs> yeah, I didn't know. I didn't know. Um, so like that's where the film gets its best sort of crude reactions, if you like. But but the the homophobia or use of homophobia, is not. And it's it feels kind of plastered on and not used. So I wasn't a huge fan of that. It's so interesting. You know, we should do a podcast on Killer Joe because I was quite enthralled by it, even though I didn't think it was fully successful, yeah? Mm. You know, so kind of, you know, I love the Gina, the Gina Gershon character. I love some of the dialogue. You know, Matthew McConaughey was great. I love the whole noir look. Mm. And then, if I remember correctly, it somehow went OTT, right? Like, yeah. Yes. So all these kind of little edgy stuff, you know, were great. And then it became almost gothic, right? <laughs> yeah. yeah. It kind of, you know, it, it got so overblown. And I think there's something interesting about Friedkin and that. It's also another Tracy Letts screenplay. Ah, Which might be worth it. Yeah, so it's another collaboration between the two of them, and also based on another of his stage plays, I think. Ah, so well, that might be. Uh, so we should revisit Killer Joe. Actually, I'd kind of like to. Yeah. You know, because I was very drawn to it, uh, but uh, you know, kind of now I've been seeing. Like I said, I've been seeing a lot. I mean, in the last year, I saw uh, the French Connection and the Boys in the Band and Cruising, and now this. 
So it would be interesting to go onto Killer Joe and kind of, you know, see what, what we can bring to it now with, you know, with this range of viewing. But, you know, it's a film that I find very unsatisfying. So, you know, I had a friend argue the other day that, you know, the thing about cruising was that it used, you know, some of the experimental techniques, you know, that Stan Brakhage does, right? So that, you know, part of uh, one of the ways that we have to look at Friedkin is through the lens of experimental cinema. And I think, you know, you could, I conceive, <laughs> make a similar argument about this film, except, you know, you'd really have to stretch it, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it is, it is certainly uncompromising, uh, and it is certainly adventurous. Uh, but I think there's also an incredible arrogance. I mean, if you are thinking about putting this film together... What do you want to convey to the audience? And what do you what pleasures do you expect the audience to get from it? Are you asking me as if I were William Friedkin? <laughs> well, I'm I'm asking I'm, I'm talking to myself, but if you have an answer, you know. Um, uh, well, some of the yeah. things that I've already described as pleasures, I think are intended. I also think it may be intended to some extent to descend into black comedy. Um, although I said, as I say, I, I, I was fearful for the characters and kind of where they would lead themselves. Um, I also started to find it quite funny when they really descend into madness. Um, uh-huh. And I, I feel that may be intentional too. It doesn't feel like it's, or rather, yeah, it doesn't feel like it's an illegitimate response or an unfair response. It doesn't feel like it's unsympathetic, so in, un, so unsympathetic to the characters that it's kind of cruel for me to have found it funny <laughs> what's happening to them. Uh-huh. Um, do you know what I mean? Yes. I do know what you mean. I, I didn't, uh, I must say, I didn't laugh. Uh, I was, um, I was very admiring, you know, because I think Michael Shannon, he's so wonderful at the beginning, actually, because, you know, he looks so innocent and kind of lost. And, yeah. you know, I like the way that the characters kind of conceptualize as like not having an interest in sex and, you know, and, and then, like, you know, the discussion that he has about it, I thought all of that was really, really interesting. Uh, and then, of course, you know, when he begins to unfurl and, you know, descend into, you know, all these conspiracy theories, he's kind of ferocious, you know. Mm. Uh, I think he's wonderful. Uh, and, uh, uh, and I love Ashley Judd, actually. But I thought she wasn't, she wasn't up to some of the moments, yeah. I mean, really? you know, she was very engaging. Yeah, I did think that. Uh, did you, what did you think? I think she's great throughout and a lot to ask for. And I kind of, I believed her entirely. And I think she's, um, she has to try and convince you of a really bizarre and sudden descent into psychosis. And I believed it of her and I believed it of her that she could be kind of seduced into it by this guy who seems to share, you know, like I say, this kind of loneliness. And I, I bought it in a performance. And I think when she gives that monologue towards the end, yeah, I, I, mm. I was kind of blown away by it. And I think you can definitely see, which is maybe not to the film's credit, you can definitely see how well this would work on stage. 
you know? Oh, definitely. And it's very, very written, and it's very, very two people in a room, and, I mean, they're they're imagining everything they're seeing, so you don't have to, like, Mm. you know, you wouldn't have to stage it kind of too dramatically or expensively to get the Mm. most out of it, um, because it's about the performances, and the performances here are what sells it as well, and and I, I bought them, really. It's interesting to me that Michael Shannon played the role at first on stage in 1996. Wow. Because, um, and apparently they kind of fought for him to be cast in the film version because they thought, but no, he's important and, they, and we need him. And the studios would have said, no, we want someone younger and who people know and so on and so forth. Because um, he wasn't he really known quite at the young time. in it. Uh, yeah, well... He looks quite young in it. Well, the thing is, I, I didn't think he did. And I, it, to me... I didn't know before I watched the film that he played this role ten years before, and the idea is that he's a Gulf War Gulf War veteran um, who's been kind of experimented on, or so he believes, and that's and so now he believes he's a kind of agent of of uh, spying from by the state and so on. And um, so let me tell you, sorry to interrupt, but he if yeah. he was born in seventy four, so if he did the play in ninety six, he was twenty two. Yeah, right. And this film is. From two thousand six, so he was just thirty two. Yeah, mean, no, no, I don't think he looks old, old. But you know, he looked like it. Basically, what I mean is, in this film, I thought, oh, he's carrying some years. Like it looks to me like he's someone who has lived with this uh, sort of psychosis for some time. Whereas you can imagine it as as someone who's twenty two, the idea being that he's just come out of the Gulf War, and you know, has and he's kind of he's like a young person with his life ruined. You know, I like the idea that he's yeah. been kind of walking around. Like, he, I mean, he says he's got no fixed abode. And he just he stays yeah. the night because she invites him, and he needs a place to stay. And you get the idea that he's just been doing this for X number of years on the run. Yes, yes, yeah. yes. But I don't know. <laughs> I thought I thought as an exploration of ideas for me, it failed. You know, or they weren't communicated well to me. Yeah. As an exploration of character, it also fails. You know, um, I, I, I just really didn't believe the Ashley Judd character. Um, and then as, you know, a piece of cinema to me, it also fails. Yeah. So it's not to say that it doesn't have, um, memorable moments. Yeah. I think it does. Um, but they're not consistent. Uh, so, so I think for me, you know, I, I would have to say that, uh, this is a film for completists only. I, if you're a fan of Michael Shannon, I think this is a great performance. I think if you're a fan of Ashley Judd, you this is something really to see because she, to me, she is almost great, <laughs> not quite. And of course, you know, if you're into Friedkin, then kind of you must see it. But if you're not into any of the above, I actually don't see why you would want to see it. Yeah, and I, mm. I wouldn't, I, I wouldn't be able to recommend it really. I agree with a lot of that because, like I say, it's once it gets deep into its psychosis in the last act of the film that I really started to get into it and feel it. And I think before then, it's not interesting enough and its plot doesn't move in interesting enough ways and the dialogue isn't even even interesting enough, which is a problem for something that's based on a play. The dialogue normally is sparkling, you know. Um, And I thought the sex scene was kind of interesting. Um, or at least it was kind of very, it was very interestingly sympathetically filmed. I think you again through that sex scene, mm. you can see how these two characters connect, and that's cinematic how that happens. I think even she kind of she seems to imagine them in a like a like a sun sunset beach sort of beautiful landscape mm. before you get back into this dirty motel room. I thought it was kind of nice. So, what did your brother uh, like 
uh, about it that he wanted to recommend it to you? I don't know, because the thing is, he I don't remember at all, because he told me about this film years ago. So it's only it's only like it's just been stuck in my head for that reason since then. It's not really because <laughs> it's not because he was like, no, you must see this, you know, and he's kept on going on about it. Um, but I'll have to ask him. You know, it's so funny. I was talking to my sister yesterday, and I said I'm doing a a, a podcast with Mike on bugs, and he goes, the Woody Allen thing, and I and I think and I said I think so. I you know I've seen it already. You know, but it's just it's just one of those Mike things. He likes that kind of film. And I really thought we were watching the animated film. Oh, you mean Ants? And then when I... Uh, sorry, Ants. Yeah. I meant Ants. Yeah, I, I, I do I love Ants. I confused with Ants. I, think, I really love Ants. So we should watch I... it one day. But no, it's not the same as Bug. Yeah. So... <laughs> <laughs> so when I turned it on to watch it, I was like, what the hell is this? <laughs> yes. I'm glad I watched so, it, and I, I think it's interesting. But um... oh, I'm very glad I watched it, actually, because, you know, like, um, like I said, I've been watching a lot of freaking films, and I must say, I don't really love any of them except The French Connection. Uh, but he really intrigues me. Yeah, mm. kind of. I'm I'm very interested in him. Uh, you know, he uh, he's 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 got a really interesting way of seeing things. He's drawn to very dark and interesting material, and he's definitely someone who you know knows how to use a camera. Yeah, like you know, he knows how to stage things. Yeah, mm-hmm. uh, and often in small spaces. So, for example, The Boys in the Band is also just shot, you know, in two rooms. Yeah, it's like in an apartment with an outside. Mm. It has an upstairs as well. Uh, <laughs> so, so I'm very intrigued by him. Um, I think but... this is only the third film of his that I've seen. I've seen The Exorcist and uh, Killer Joe. Um, but none of the others, actually. I would like to revisit some of them if you're up for it, because... I remember, was it in the 80s or 90s? Let me see. Uh, uh, to Live and Die in L.A. And Jade, which I remember. Okay. Yeah. Uh, and, Killer, and Killer Joe. Yeah, if, if you know, yeah. if, you, if, if you're interested. Uh, Jade has um, Linda Fiorentino. Uh, and I think it was just after um, she, The Last Seduction. Yeah. Right. So she'd done the last seduction in '94, and that revitalized her career. She's a wonderful femme fatale in that. You know, and then she appears in Jade. So it would be interesting to see like these these noirs of uh, of of freakins, actually. Hmm. Uh, you know, so to do live and die in L.A. and then Jade and then return to Killer Joe. Now having watched all of these, that would be interesting. What about the French Connection, which I've never seen? Oh, then in that case, we must see it. Yeah, and so, I'd be so, interested to see cruising as well. Although you've just done a podcast on cruising, haven't you? I have. Uh, uh, so, so maybe leave that one. Um, but, um, okay. It's it's a it's a noir. It's very dark. No, no, uh, I'll watch it, but we yeah. just may not podcast on it. Um, yeah, but it would be good to refer to. Yeah, sure. Okay, let's watch some of these then. Yeah, that's a project. So let's end it here. Mm-hmm. Uh, so so to summarize. Uh, it's a film that's not without interest, but it's one that's difficult to recommend. Mm. Uh, so if you are a fan of any of the leads, and actually we must include Harry Connick Jr. here, mm. you know, because he is also a star. So if you're a fan of uh, uh, Harry Connick Jr. or Michael Shannon or Ashley Judd or William Friedkin, then you must see this film. 
Otherwise, I find it difficult to recommend. Yeah, outside of that, it kind of has limited... And I suppose if you're a fan of Tracy Letts as well, as a writer at least. I mean, I, I for me, he's always going to be the the sort of useless head of Homeland Security in Homeland and, you know, the useless um, head of Ford <laughs> in uh, Ford v Ferrari and just, like, I love him as useless people who have lots of power but can't get anyone to listen to them. I love that. Um, so as an actor, I love uh, him. As a writer, maybe less so. All right. Uh, well, uh, thank you very much for listening. We are eavesdropping at the movies, and we are on. Apple Podcasts, Spotify, SoundCloud, and YouTube. On social media, we're on Facebook and Twitter, and the website is eavesdroppingatthemovies.com. Thank you very much. Bye-bye. Thank you.